You're listening to the Savvy Citizen Podcast. I'm Adam Gobb. Today on the show, we're talking about medication-assisted treatments and why that's a big new venture here in Gaston County for GEMS. We're talking with two of the GEMS members, Captain Brandon Miller and paramedic Justin Greer, about why what they're doing could be groundbreaking in terms of getting people the help that they need. Welcome into another edition of the Savvy Citizen Podcast. I'm Adam Gobb, and I've got Elizabeth McGee here with me today. We're talking with uh, two folks from GEMS. We've got paramedic Justin Greer and Captain Brandon Miller, and uh, really excited to have these guys in today. We're talking about MAT, and if you can, tell me what MAT is. So MAT stands for Medicated Assisted Treatment or Medication Assisted Treatment. And basically what MAT does is it brings medication to um, substance abuse um, users in the field and bridges a gap, um, or that's what we're trying to do here is bridge a gap. Um, You use different medications to help people get off of illegal substances. So it's not the same thing as like when you go into the field and you're responding to somebody that's got an overdose and you, you hit them with a dose of Narcan. That's not what we're talking about here, right? No, that would be part of the program, okay. but not, not, not necessarily. So in, in kind of basic terms, when you're talking about medication assisted therapy or treatment, um, what is the difference from that and some of the other kind of options that are out there in terms of um, treatments or, or, ideas of how to treat people that are going through opioid addiction? So there's a couple different ways. MAT kind of falls into a harm reduction type um, treatment. So a lot of the movement now is moved towards harm reduction. Harm reduction is bringing care and meeting um, the patient where they're at. Mm -hmm. So syringe exchange, uh, medication-assisted treatment, or bringing different type of peer support specialists to the patient to be able to walk them through the process. Um, so that's, that's really the, the trend that we're seeing nowadays is the harm reduction aspect um, to bringing um, patients out of a substance use disorder. And why are we seeing that kind of trend towards harm reduction? Because I know I hear you say, you know, needle exchanges. That might sound scary on the surface, um, but I know that it's more effective, right? It is. So anytime you can take um, a needle and remove it from, I guess you would say, rotation, um, you cut down on infectious diseases. Um, Talking about like HIV and those kinds of things. Yes. So this is something that um, (laughs) to to know local government is is interesting because Elizabeth, you know, is one of our co-hosts in the podcast, but her full-time job is working as a budget analyst. But then she's also been a staff support for our homelessness prevention task force. And then she's also playing a big role in terms of the opioid committee that we have set up that's bridging a ton of different departments and kind of uh, nonprofit sector folks as well, if I remember correctly. So the opioid settlement team is a team um, of county employees, and its purpose is to decide what to do with the approximately $21 million that we're going to receive over the next 18 years. Um, And this money is coming down as part of the $26 billion settlement, um, which resolved the litigation over the role of the four companies in creating and fueling the opioid epidemic. So um, 
every county in North Carolina is receiving, receiving some portion of these funds. Um, and there's a really specific list of ways that we can spend that money. But it's really exciting because MAT is one of those eligible items. Um, and we're basically checking that off of the list so we can use that money um, potentially in other ways. Correct. And the money that you guys are getting for this is not coming from the opioid settlement money, at least the money that the county got. This is from a grant at the state level, right? Correct. Yep. So, Brandon, we were talking a little bit about this before we, we started recording, but um, this was the first time that you guys had applied for that grant, right? Yes, sir. Um, what was that process like? When did you first kind of find out that this money was available? And it, I know you said it was kind of a tight turnaround to get this done. So we heard from the state that there was the potential for a grant probably late um, April, early May um, in talks with the state was just kind of look out for it, look out for it, look out for it. Mm -hmm. um, we finally, they released the actual grant um, in early July with a due date early August. Um, so we had probably three weeks to get everything prepared and um, submitted to the state. What does the, the grant itself entail? Because we, we started out by talking about kind of what MAT is, but what all does the grant kind of provide you guys and what are you able to kind of put in place with, with this grant? So the grant covers a three-year period. Um, it's total awards $350,000 over that course of three years. So with the money, um, we wrote in for an additional full-time community paramedic. Mm. We currently deploy um, a community paramedic. Justin is our community paramedic currently. Um, this will allow us to be able to expand that coverage um, seven days a week, 12 hours each day. Um, we're also able to um, employ two part-time peer support specialists in talks with other MAT programs out there. Um, peer support is a huge component um, to getting these patients in the right direction. So we wanted to make sure that we were able to include um, peer support specialists. Medication-wise, um, it gets us enough medication to be able to treat around 175 patients um, each year over the next three years. And then we wrote in some additional money for training, um, different certifications, and then another big barrier to getting patients into MAT is transportation to their initial appointment. Mm. So that was something big that we wanted to be able to provide. So we wrote in some money to be able to assist with getting those patients to their, um, their treatment referral appointment. Well, it seems like, I mean, so much of this is about barriers. And so for, for, it sounds like a lot of what you have written into the grant is about reducing those barriers to, to make it accessible, regardless of kind of your station in life, your, your economic status, um, you're going to have the opportunity to get better, essentially. Correct. We've reached the point in the podcast where we're stopping to do a commercial. But no, it's not selling you something. It's telling you something. Get ready to don your costumes, folks. The Gaston County Public Library Comic-Con is back. The 6th Annual Gaston County Public Library Comic-Con will be Saturday, June 3rd from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Main Library on East Garrison Boulevard in Gastonia. There will be vendors, games, food trucks, and more. It's free and open to the public. Justin, since you are someone who is literally out there um, helping people um, 
when they're having a crisis. Can you talk a little bit about um, what this means to you and your job? Because um, I know you haven't had this resource in the past necessarily, and now you've got options to give people where in the past you didn't. Yeah, I think that this is going to be a huge improvement for the county. We currently right now are just responding to an overdose and we'll reverse the overdose if we see that it is an opioid overdose. And then it kind of, we reach out for, to see if they do want uh, some additional assistance later on. And it kind of stops there. And this will be able to bridge the gap pretty much from once someone determines that they do need help and we're able to facilitate that help and help them guide them on the path pretty much. So what does that look like for you? Um, we had a meeting a couple of weeks ago where you handed out um, some fentanyl test strips and some kind of educational materials like that. Are you going to be giving out those kinds of resources as well as part of this program? Yes, we are. Uh, in the grant, we wrote some additional funding for the fentanyl test strips that are currently deployed through the... So we have a partnership yeah. with the Gaston County Police Department um, and then we were kind of going along with Olive Branch Ministries and then Gaston County government to bring fentanyl test strips out. So in one of the meetings, um, one of the officers brought up a valid point that we're seeing an increase in fentanyl that's out on the streets. And part of that harm reduction um, point is to be able to give these people a way to see if these substances are in, uh, in fact laced with fentanyl. So we partnered with the uh, police department to be able to, um, when we respond out to overdoses, they have the fentanyl test strip kits that they can leave on scene with the patient um, to be able to test any further substances that they have. And just to back up for a second, what's so dangerous about fentanyl? I, th I feel like we hear about fentanyl being dangerous all the time, but why is it so dangerous? Fentanyl is extremely potent um, and it's being laced in every pretty much every drug now not only opioids um, mm. we're seeing it in methamphetamine uh, marijuana everything is being laced with fentanyl now fentanyl is the chemical kind of it's a man-made opioid that comes in different forms of it's very it's pretty much the strongest opioid out there so if i'm if i'm following this correctly i mean the the reason behind lacing other drugs with it is it's going to make it those drugs more potent, potentially get people even more hooked on them, essentially. Yeah. We're seeing it in, in methamphetamine. It gets someone who is already using methamphetamine. Now they, it's laced with fentanyl, so now they're addicted to opioids now. So they're transitioning from methamphetamines to opioids now. And also, you know, even if you're a quote-unquote experienced user and you believe that you know how to pace yourself or um, you know the appropriate amount to give yourself if the amount of fentanyl in the drug is unknown, then, I mean, I'm sure you can tell us about the spike in overdoses that we've seen. Yeah, we have seen an increase in overdoses over the last few years. It's just rapidly increasing every year. I don't know if there's a good answer to this. I mean, do you know or do you have any idea whether you think what we went through in COVID has played a role in this at all in terms of kind of like the isolation that people were feeling and like, um, maybe some people were, were off of work for a while. Um, I don't know if that, you know, if you saw any sort of correlation with, with a spike in, you know, 2020 or 2021, or if it was kind of going up 
anyway. I think it was already headed up already, um, and certainly people being home, isolation didn't help anything. Yeah. One thing um, for our regular listeners, you probably remember the episode we did about Beth Macy's book, Raising Lazarus. One thing that Beth Macy talks about in terms of um, you know the rise of opioid abuse is this idea of diseases of despair and how those are especially potent post-pandemic because so many parts of the social safety net were just ripped away from people. And so, um, Justin, I think I've talked to you in the past about um, sometimes EMS is people's main lifeline to or access to healthcare. Um, so can you talk about that a little bit, about how, how you deal with those kinds of situations where people don't have that many options in terms of a safety net? Yes, we see a lot of patients who they just don't have the access to a primary care or they don't have a home so mm. or don't have transportation. That's a big thing that we currently do see. Um, and, the, and a lot of opioid patients that we do see for post-overdoses are in the same, kind of in the same boat. Um, and they were currently working with some things to help be able to outreach more patients who are homeless or who do have issues with no primary care or access to medications that they need or anything. You guys talked about like the importance of peer support. How do you go about finding folks that can do that and do that effectively? Because I would imagine it's it's got to be something where you've got to be really good at making connections with, with people that are going through this and, and kind of establishing that bond. So our plan is to work with Olive Branch Ministries um, mm. to locate these um, these uh, potential employees. Um, to be a peer support specialist, you have to have um, lived experience mm. and to attend um, a certification class in order to become certified as a peer support specialist. So um, working with Olive Branch to identify those people and um, – get the right people out into the field to be able to talk through the actual process will um, bring great benefit to um, our EMAT program. We've mentioned Olive Branch Ministries a couple of times since we've been talking. Can you talk a little bit about how you've worked with them in the past? How have they helped your mission? So um, a, a part of the post-overdose response team Justin was talking about earlier in the past um, we partnered with Olive Branch Ministries to um, basically when we go out reverse an overdose, we leave a Narcan kit. Um, inside that kit is a dose of Narcan, some instructions on how to use it. Um, and in the past, we had a referral form. The referral form, our paramedics would fill out, get consent um, of that patient. Then we would forward that to Olive Branch, and Olive Branch would make contact with that patient after um, we left the scene and ultimately they didn't want to go to the hospital. So we've kind of taken that partnership, um, developed it, and now we have our own post-overdose response team. So anytime that um, our paramedics go out, reverse an overdose, um, we still leave the Narcan kit on scene. Um, we have a EMS project specialist that goes and follows up with those patients um, after they um, refuse to go to the hospital. That was something I think Justin talked about earlier was just that barrier. We oftentimes see we go out, we reverse the overdose, um, we leave the kit, they say they won't follow up, 
A lot of them are homeless. They're moving around. Mm. So trying to make that contact after the fact has been challenging, um, especially with limited use to cell phone um, homelessness. So a part of the MAT program will have the community paramedic that responds out with the um, ALS unit to be able to basically stop that um, that barrier that we go out, reverse the overdose, then we have to leave and try to come back. We'll stay on scene and try to initiate MAT um, if we can, and then we'll assign them a peer support specialist that will follow them around and work with them on a daily basis. Hey, citizens, are you feeling savvy yet? If not, let's take a break and hear about some cool things happening in and around Gaston County. Book lovers rejoice. The Friends of the Gaston County Public Library annual book sale is right around the corner, and this year, it's a full week. Yes, you heard that right. The book sale will be Monday, April 10th through Saturday, April 16th at the main library on East Garrison Boulevard in Gastonia. Hours may vary, so visit www.gastonlibrary.org for more information. So what kind of things would the peer support specialists do in terms of, you know, follow up? Is it just checking in on them to see how they're doing or are they doing anything else? So mostly it's just a, a lending hand, basically. Um, talk to them, ask them how they're doing throughout the day. Um, ask them if they have any concerns. If they have any questions, they can kind of point them, hey, this is what to expect here. This is what to expect there basically just to guide them in the process to be able to get them into um, a treatment facility and then even follow them afterwards. Um, sometimes all a person needs is just a, an ear to talk to, and um, the peer support specialist definitely can do that. It almost sounds somewhat similar to like what you see in like AA or NA where you have like a sponsor essentially. It's right. somebody that's basically like your, <laughs> they're your Jiminy Cricket. Yeah, yeah. your advocate yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So when you were writing this grant proposal, you only had three weeks to do it. Um, did you look at and to any other communities as like a model for how you'd like to implement Gaston's program? Yes, we contacted a few counties that already have this program in place. Uh, the big one was Stanley County. Uh, we communicated back and forth a lot about how their program works the challenges that they faced, uh, some things that they've learned that they would do different, uh, just some lessons about their program and how successful it has become and the key components to how to make it successful here. So what are some of those um, thing, things that we're going to do to kind of put our best foot forward and make sure that our program starts off on a strong footing? The number one thing that they stressed to us was the peer support specialist. Mm. This was key component for them. Um, we could offer a patient treatment after an overdose and they might say no, um, but that peer support specialist is there to follow up with them and talk to them and explain to them this is what this treatment is. Um, so they're the ones that are going to help connect the patient and us and help start them on the treatment. And another thing, a lot of things they've ran into was transportation issues and just making sure we had a good working relationship with as many MAT um, providers and facilities in the county as possible. How difficult is it to be able to 
to get the kind of the medication essentially that you need to be able to do MAT? I mean, is that fairly um, tightly controlled by the federal government? And so it's, it's not something that is just readily available, something that you could just go to, you know, a physician or the, the public health department and be able to get. It is very regulated with the government. You have to go to a certain physician for this. Okay. Um, and some people, it might be a wait list to get to this. Mm. And that's where we're going to come in and we're going to follow up with this patient for up to seven days and be able to treat them at their house for up to seven days with the medication until we get them into a place. So there's not that gap there in between when they're wanting treatment and getting into a facility. So how does this differ from like methadone, a a more traditional method of um, treating an opioid addiction? So the main medication that we're going to be using is Suboxone or buprenorphine. It's hard to pronounce. (laughs) It's very hard to pronounce. Yeah, say that five times. (laughs) Yes. I think Beth Macy calls it bup. (laughs) Yeah, that's what we call it, the short term for bup. Uh, This medication um, is a lot like methadone, um, but... It also has properties of, uh, it has the Narcan built into it. Mm. So patients, um, they are instructed not to use a substance while they're on it. And this really deters them because mm. they can become pretty sick mm. while on this. Uh, Does that include any substance? Just opioids. Okay. But it has become the gold standard pretty much for opioid uh, treatment, the bupass. And can you administer it to yourself in your home? Like, would you, how would I get like a week's prescription and then keep that with me? So I know compared to a methadone clinic, you have to physically go every day to get your dose. So this is different from that? This is different from that. They can go uh, once they're into a treatment center. They can, depending on the provider, the provider can write a prescription for a week, a month at a time. And it's more, um, it's more convenient for the patient. So they can actually live a normal life while they are still on this medication. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It becomes, it's, I think over the last few years, it has become pretty much, like I said, the gold standard for treating patients with a substance use disorder. We've mentioned harm reduction a couple of times too. I know, so we talk about methadone is kind of more in line with a traditional way of treating an opioid use disorder. Um, that's not necessarily alarmed with, uh, aligned with harm reduction. Um, can you talk just a little bit more about how the harm reduction approach differs from the way things were done in the past more traditionally? I think the main thing with harm reduction, it's having the idea that this problem is out there and we have to bring treatment to them and we're not out there telling people, you know, drugs are bad. Like Mm -hmm. we're telling them, you know, we know this is a, like, this is a medical disorder. This is a medical problem you're having. And this is helping them having the treatment there for them whenever they want to accept it, but also teaching them on how to safely use if they are going to use, because we all know some people are going to use no matter what. So this is teaching them how to, safely use to no not do further harm to themselves mm-hmm. well it seems like that some of that is like a stigma sort of thing where it's just like you know just because you've become addicted to opioids doesn't make you a bad person yes um and so i think 
a lot of times I, I know you guys were talking about, you know, some of the challenges with um, contacting people that are maybe homeless or, you know, that sort of stuff. But um, I mean, this is something that, that spans the spectrum. I mean, it doesn't really have any sort of a, you know, young, old, rich, poor. I mean, it, it, it affects everybody. Correct. So looking at the numbers um, just from years past, you can see that it becomes a problem um, throughout the entire county. It's not specific to just a, a local municipality. It's mm-hmm. county-wide, um, and it affects all age ranges, gender, sexes. Um, it's completely all over the board. Um, and we're seeing more and more, um, I guess, it being spread across. So in years past, you would see it more towards your age range of 30 to 40. Now we're seeing 70-year-olds. We're seeing teenagers. Mm. Um, so it's completely spread all the way across the board. And to speak on the stigma, yeah, I think that um, harm reduction is just, it's, you've got to be able to meet that patient where they're at, understand that they're going through this, um, this crisis in their life and accepting that and um, just working with them, being open-minded about it. Um, and any day that we can help them not use is a successful treatment um, in my book. So if someone is struggling with an addiction or suspects that a friend or family member is struggling with addiction, what resources do we have in the county that they can um, access short of calling the ambulance? So if they wanted information, um, you can walk up to any one of our trucks or ambulances in the community, get a Narcan kit. It has all the information on the inside. Um, you can ask for a fentanyl test strip kit. It's got different harm reduction prevention tips um, included within it. We have the community paramedic. Um, can always call that line, talk to them, um, and then reach out to different MAT um, providers in the county. There's plenty of them out there. Um, it's just making a phone call or showing up at a doorstep and knocking and just saying, hey, I need some information. And um, there's, there's a lot of people out there that are willing to help. Um, we just, you just have to ask. And I would imagine for a lot of folks, like it's just taking that first step to basically say like, whether it's for yourself or for somebody that you care about, like, I need help or this person I think needs help and just starting that process. Absolutely. Anything else that we didn't um, ask about, about the program? I know that this is something that you guys are really excited to kick off. I think it's, it's supposed to last three years in terms of the life of the grant. Correct. Yes. Um, but then obviously, I mean, the hope would be that we would continue to find another grant or other funding sources to continue this, assuming that the program is as successful as you're hoping it's going to be. Absolutely. The grant is a pilot program. So, Hopefully, with uh, enough data and successes um, across the state, there'll be additional funding sources that we can um, continue to tap into to be able to bring these resources to the citizens. How do they measure success with something like this? I mean, is it is it strictly just a numbers thing? Is it a, is it a reduction in the number of overdoses that you're responding to, or, or how do they kind of track that? So I think it's looking at how many overdoses we go out to, um, and how many patients go into treatment mm. and um, sustain that treatment. Okay. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing if a patient goes into it, a treatment lapses and then has to go through another set of treatment. Um, I don't think that they're looking at that. It's just more so 
have we reduced the number of overdoses in the county mm. and how many people have made it into a treatment facility? Well, and it, you know, I know Elizabeth talked about this a little bit before, but it's just, it seems like there is, there are a large number of um, entities that are coming together and playing a part in trying to help with this, whether it's um, the Controlled Substance Coalition, your partnership with um, Michelle Mathis's group at um, Olive Branch, um, and just an, a number of other um, police departments and, and even the, the um, district attorney's office. And just there's a number of different entities that are really looking at this problem maybe differently than we have in years past. Yes. So I think that countywide we've all um, – realize that there's there's a there's a problem out there and um as a county i think we're doing a good job trying to address um the issues uh captain brandon miller paramedic justin greer both with gems thank you guys so much for coming in and joining us today best of luck as you go forward with this program um, i know you guys are going to be um, helping a lot of people and making a significant difference in the community not that you don't already, because you do, but um, we're just, we're excited for the work that you guys are able to do. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. The Savvy Citizen Podcast is a production of the Gaston County Communications Office. It is hosted by Janet Schaefer and Adam Gobb, and its senior field correspondent is Elizabeth McGee. Editor and producer is Joshua Braswell. Coming up next week on Savvy Citizen... We're going to be talking to a professional MMA fighter and UFC competitor who lives right here in Gaston County. You will not want to miss this.